So Patrick Min from Engage Executive Talent is here today. Now, Patrick, I, I believe you usually like to kick things off with, with a song. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally when we have events and we have to do a sound check, I break into Irish Rover because it's the only song I know every lyric to. So do they let you actually, you are you able to use all the lyrics? They let you, you must be a good singer. For the sound check, yeah, occasionally they do. Okay. Yeah. Min River would be my choice but i only usually get the two words min river out and then people are like that's it we've cleared the room <laughs> so top tip ne never never launch into a song unless you know all the lyrics that's actually good advice although as i say it, it doesn't matter because i'm such a bad singer that people just stop me Cocky, Do no i have a nice voice but i just can't sing so anyway patrick we're here to talk about engage executive talent which you are the ceo of director yeah. director of um and tell us just in a nutshell what engage executive talent is well, Engage Executive Talent is a, a recruitment agency. It's the top recruitment agency for non-profits in Northern Ireland for appointments to chief executive positions, senior management positions, board positions as well. And we also provide interim executive services where charities and non-profits need somebody to step in temporarily into a leadership position. It could be maternity cover, it could be something else. Um, and we also have a panel of trusted consultants um, where clients in terms of charities come to us who need a bit of work done, uh, don't want all of the trouble of going out and uh, you know going through an entire procurement process can, can come to us and we'll find them consultants on specific bits of work that they need done um, whose price point will match what the, what the charity needs. Obviously they don't have always have a wild pile of money. Okay, so it's all um recruitment for senior management levels yeah yeah only so it's so the, um, a charity can't go to you and say listen we need x number of admin staff or that's right yeah mm -hmm. we the, 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 there would be other better or organizations better served to do those um the, the most the more junior uh, jobs um and there'd be more agency uh, organizations in the in the private sector who would service those um what's really important for us is that uh the non-profits in Northern Ireland have the best leadership that they can have and because Engage Executive Talent was actually born out of uh, the charity leadership organisation CO3 which stands for Chief Officers Third Sector that's where our expertise lies and that's what people trust us to do to get good leaders. So it's about getting good leaders but it's, it's dedicated to that sector I, I mean obviously I used to work in a recruitment agency uh, I don't like to recall how many years ago it was well, it was 1999 actually <laughs> and we would have recruited for charities so why um why 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 do you exist essentially so, well we, we one of the advantages that we've got is that we were born out of a need that was defined by the members of chief officers third sector so uh, what was happening was we didn't have a recruitment service before in, in that organization what was happening was people were turning up and saying look we've used so-and-so mainstream recruitment agency or mainstream recruit, recruitment agency B uh, and they're just they're not getting the type of person that we need and is there anything you could do to help us and um, so the chief executive at the time um, uh, newly appointed uh, a, a, a great woman called Nora Smith um, formed uh, effectively a service a recruitment service and what it took into account was the things that the boards of charities and the staff and senior management of charities were telling us which was you know, commitment has to come first uh, in 
assessing anyone for their suitability for a role to lead a charity. They've got to be, they have to go to have the cause and the ethics, as well as all of the professional skills and experience. Um, and, you know, people aren't always getting that, particularly those from the private sector. So the private people who work in the private sector, like you will have in your recruitment agent, um, your recruitment role, for example, at the end of the day, the main objective of that organization is to sustain itself in order to make profit. Mm -hmm. But that's completely inverted in a non-profit. Actually, the main objective of the organization is not its continuation or its survival. It's the welfare of its service users and beneficiaries. So some people have um, problems getting their head shifting from that kind of profit mindset to the non-profit mindset. And our the art we bring to it is figuring out where we can find those people who have not just the, the professional skills and experience, but the right mindset to be able to take a charity further to help more people to have greater social impact. Um, and that's why people come to us. Well, let's talk about that mindset because I know you have a background in, in, that, in that sector yourself before you um, came to Engage Executive. You had, you had worked... Um, when we talked before, you, you talked about working with older people. So mm -hmm. tell us a bit about your background and, and then we'll move on into what the mindset is that you think is is, um, is important in the sector. Sure. So um, so I, I effectively left the private sector in 2007 uh, to run a, a project. And like a lot of people who've ended up from the private sector or indeed the public sector in the non-profit sector, they started off through, you know, volunteering their time for certain charities outside of their, their work. Um, I happen to be, uh, over the years, for one reason or another, I've always ended up volunteering for organisations that work with older people. Um, I did that in London, I did it in Armagh, I did it, um, and I, latterly, uh, coming up to 2007 then, I was working for an organisation that was improving internet access, or the access, not physically to broadband or anything, but the being able to access how the internet works for older people in residential care homes. Silver surfers, I believe they used to be called. Yeah, so we were trying to create the new generation of silver mm -hmm. surfers, exactly right. Um, and so and there, were, you know, there were great examples of how their lives could be improved. I remember dealing with a, a pair of literally 96-year-old twin sisters in a care home who, whose family had all emigrated, whose children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren all lived in Australia. And you know we're able to see them uh, using video conferencing and facilities that they hadn't known about before, um, and that was a real game changer for them. And then as soon as they found out, other people in the home would find out, then the families and it would kind of go viral. And did that blow their mind? Totally, yeah, of course, in a really, really good way. You know, there was tears of of laughter and and joy, um, the first time they were able to see. I mean, in some cases, they were seeing their great grandchildren for the first time. How you did know. you feel? Uh, I f well, the way I felt about that is ex exactly what propelled me into working for the third sector. Because um, when I was working in the private sector, obviously, you know, it was harder to get up for in the morning, given that your motive is all, and we were talking about motive to answer your question about, you know, commitment and motive. That's about getting up and making you or the directors of your companies 
slightly richer. Whereas if you're working for a non-profit, no matter how stressful or how bad it is, when you get up in the morning, you know that actually you're contributing something positive to society. Um, uh, and so you're adding value uh, to society as opposed to just adding value to a company. And I think that turns a lot of, a lot of people on now. I see a lot of younger people in their 20s and 30s who, who come fully formed with that attitude now, whereas before some, um, some older people like myself would have come to it after uh, a period of time, after being worn down in the private sector, if you like. So, um, yeah, so I ended up running a project um, that combined social welfare for older people and IT, which is what my day job was at the time. And so we ran a project that used web-based tools to improve benefit uptake for older people across Northern Ireland using intermediaries, uh, you know, the wee church groups they were in, HNI, um, even political party constituency offices got in on the act as well and using the tools that we developed. So we raised about 50 million quid more into Northern Ireland uh, to older people than would otherwise have been the case. About 50 million? Yeah. 50 million pounds over a five year period. Yeah. So I came in to, to support the projects, do you mean? No, that or? was benefits that older people got oh, that right, they wouldn't right. otherwise have received. Yeah. So, um, and that was super popular with them and it was super popular with the Stormont government because it was non-block grant money. So it was new money into the Northern Ireland economy as well. So win-win. So mm -hmm. It was win-win. And then I did a course on uh, social investment in terms of how best to um, how best to charities become more independent financially in terms of developing unrestricted income, which is the income they can spend on their core services as opposed to restricted income, where how they spend restricted income is maybe a grant money where they have to spend it the way the, the funders told them how to spend it. Uh, unrestricted income is really important in terms of being able to pay the salaries of the staff, the utilities, the rent and so on. Uh, grants tend to just pay for the projects that are run by those organisations. So um, during that course that was co-run by the Charity Bank, which is a kind of glorified credit union that only lends into charities in the UK, um, I got a taste for what social finance and social investment could contribute to Northern Ireland. Uh, and just halfway through that course, Charity Bank were recruiting for their first permanent Northern Ireland manager. And I went for the job. Um, and after about f a five stage interview, because I wasn't a banker, they were kind of humming and hawing about, you know, this would be the first time we didn't um, recruit a banker. Uh, what, you know, what can you do about that? So I managed to wangle uh, a, a placement with Danske Bank, thanks to Danske Bank, uh, uh, and got a placement for three months to learn how to be a banker, effectively, and then went back to them in between the third and the fifth interviews and said, look, here's what I've done. I can learn the banking stuff, but the bank doesn't know about the environment enough in Northern Ireland, and you probably need someone like me. So um, they took me on and did that for five years, which was great because I got introduced to so many different projects in the non-profit sector. Really, really life-affirming projects and really some really clever projects. Um, you know, everything from a charity setting up a, 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 a multi-office building in order to rent um, 
affordable biz, uh, affordable office space out to other charities that they otherwise couldn't be able to do to uh, community wind farms um, and everything in between. So that that was really good um, in terms of getting a good bird's eye view of what the third sector looks like in Northern Ireland because it's not just people rattling tins on the high street looking for money. Um, and how then I came to CO3 was that whilst there was Charity Bank, um, I became treasurer, I was invited to be treasurer of CO3, so I was on the board. Um, and I'd also been a member uh, of CO3, and CO3, I'd effectively been around on the board at the time that CO3 was reconfiguring itself to be more sustainable in terms of developing income streams that would be unrestricted, as we were talking about. Um, so that it wouldn't be dependent on grant money or that, that it could survive itself. So we developed CO3 as a business, um, still providing all the value-added services for free to the members that we did before, but adding on some stuff, um, some premium stuff that people could pay for, uh, and then also spinning out the recruitment uh, to a separate business. Um, so that's where Engage Executive Talent got born. At that point, um, they recruited for a director for Engage Executive Talent, and I bit their arm off uh, to try and get the job. Um, went through it, went through the recruitment process, and I was delighted to be offered it. So, for the last two two and a half years, I've been working on developing that business uh, further and looking at other things that we can do to add value to nonprofits um, around recruitment, around retention, around selection around um, uh, baselining uh, salaries or remuneration packages for them as well. And so it's really all about adding value to the nonprofits to help them reach more beneficiaries through being more effective and efficient themselves. I'm just blown away by what you said. And I've got so many questions for you now in the back of that. Um, we wa I wanted to ask you about the sort of mindset of someone who is suited to working in that sector. I think you have sort of personified it there by the fact that you you did that placement just to get, you were, you were still in the interview process. It yeah. wasn't like you said, well, look, if I get the job, I'll go to the bank and I'll do this or I'll do this qualification. That was a risk you took because you still might not have got the job, you know, but but your your dedication and your heart was so much into it that you were willing to do that. Um, and so so would you say that is important for someone? I, I sort of want to, to sort of hold up the third sector here and say to people who have only been in the private sector and only sort of um, worked in the way you described to kind of make yourself and your boss a wee bit richer, um, to show them, right, the third sector gives you that drive or gives you that um, that reason to get up in the morning. So um, I think you, you sort of personified it with, with, you're that passionate about it, that you're willing to do that. So what would you say to somebody who, who hasn't worked in the third, never thought about working in the third sector? So what's, you know, charities, what, what, what you know, what's the point? Yeah. What's the, why, why would I work for charity rather than a, a business? Yeah, and, and before I say that, I'll, I'll go back to the point about what we're saying is younger people. So I, I know, I know it's, I know the, the Gen Z or Gen Z and millennials are, are awfully, generalized terms but but that those age groups seem to have that intrinsic drive to help their communities and their society more i think so do you mean sort of 20s 30s people yeah 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 mm -hmm. i think we're yeah we're seeing people who coming out of school at 18 19 20 have for their ambition is to work positively towards society their first stop isn't to think 
I want you know I want a really high paying job, and you know I want the I want the the Ferrari or whatever. They're thinking more about what's happening to the world at the moment, mm -hmm. much more than we were encouraged to. And you know I'm in my I'm in my mid fifties, so um, I, that we would have just been thinking about how to get some work, you know, at that point. Um, they're they're a bit more cheesy. Um, in terms of then older people and and the motivation question, um, I think uh, I mean the example. You're flattering me far too much by saying I personify this. I, I don't. That's a really modest thing to do to try and get into a job. You know, to maybe get a placement just to just to maneuver yourself into a role that you'd really like. There are people out there whose entire lives have been sacrificed to the cause. Uh, that they were looking for. Very often people whose families have been affected by a cause and sometimes it can be a, a health uh, related issue, it can be an intellectual disability in their family that they want to uh, help with. Um, very often those are the people who uh, who will either start um, uh, a charity or a non-profit or they'll find a gap in a service um, that they suddenly find that maybe their son or daughter is actually one of many people uh, who haven't had a voice uh, in terms of getting types of services, whether it's support for autism or, as I say, learning disabilities or other things. Um, those are the people who really drive the sector. Um, and it's that type of mindset that then inspires other people to, to, to do what they do. Um, but there are people who've sacrificed a lot more than I have in terms of making sure that um, young people and older people and, and vulnerable people are better looked after than, than they currently are. But from somebody outside the sector, do you know, like, like I, I work with social enterprise, obviously, but um, for me here in that, from my background, I, I worked in a college and I worked in recruitment and different things. The thought of doing something like that to get a job is like, you know, because you're ingrained. This is your bread and butter. Well, you know, no, this it's no different. Somebody to, else sits a lot. It's no different to somebody, you know, doing a training course that's aimed at, you know, steering their career mm. towards a particular direction. So, but have you found um, that as you, you you give the example of working with the the sisters, so that they were able to, yeah. the buzz that that gave you. But do you find that as you kind of progress and you kind of become a higher manager? That you're more removed from the cause, or are you still getting the same? That's a really good question. So yeah, you do end up being more removed from the cause, and you do have to pay attention to ensuring that you can reconnect and re-engage with the people that you're helping. Now, in terms of my role, uh, I will spend every day talking to dozens of people face to face about um, about themselves, about their organisations, about what they do, and it's. Uh, it's too infrequently do I get to speak to their service users and beneficiaries and actually see how they deliver the service. Is that a source of regret to me? Yeah, um, but it's you know it's it's not always practical to do. But I do know, and you know, I one of the things that we look for uh, when, for example, I'm looking for a chief executive for a charity that looks after people with learning disabilities or people with you know. Uh, physical problems or, or long, um, uh, long-standing conditions uh, is the extent to which they're planning on speaking to the people they help directly, not just managing their staff. 
because you, ha you have to have an appreciation of that. And I think it's a really good question. Uh, yeah, you are, uh, you know, the hierarchy of an organisation, the structure of an organisation can sometimes militate against the top of the organisation staying in touch with what happens on the ground. But one of the things we look for on behalf of the charities that we work for and the candidates we put forward is how they connect up and how they stay engaged and connected with their service users. So what kind of uh, people or organisations would you be keen to hear from as a result of, of today? Like so somebody's listening and thinking, oh, I'd like to work in the third sector. You know, can candidates sort of approach you and go, here's my CV or, yeah? So yeah, on the candidate side, um, what you find is com compared to other recruitment agencies in, in the, in the for-profit sector, we, ha we take a more symmetrical approach in terms of the clients and the candidates to us are just as important as each other. Because what, we are, what we're trying to do, I mean, our, our, the aim of our game is to make sure that we have the best people in the, in the best organisations. Sometimes we have really good candidates for jobs that aren't quite right for that job, that wouldn't be. And, you know, we'll be honest about that. Um, sometimes we'll have candidates who think they're beneath going for a job, but actually they'd be absolutely brilliant at it and they just need a little bit of confidence. They've maybe not had the leadership in the past that would have convinced them of their own worth. And sometimes they just need a wee push, thereby leaving the door open for somebody else to come up behind them into the role that they would be vacating. So it's really important um, that candidates think that actually, you know, loyalty to an organisation and a cause is really, really important. But you also need to see, need to assess to the extent to which you're adding value. Can you add value in a job that actually would reach more people, that would improve the lot of more people in a different position? And if you can, you probably should think about it um, because somebody else will be able to do your job as well. And in that way, there'll, there'll be pro progression. So we think very carefully about when we're organising interviews, we try and, and, and ensure that the client knows that the candidate deserves as much respect as the client does who's, who's interviewing them. In terms, so we want to hear from candidates, yeah, and we do. Uh, and they do approach us and they send us their CVs and we're happy to comment on their CVs and say how, um, uh, how they might be improved, although it's very subjective. Um, uh, in terms of the, the clients, then we want to hear from clients, of course. We, we'd say that about maybe about 45-47% of the senior recruitments uh, that the third sector did in 2021 were actually done in-house, uh, not always successfully. Um, uh, the, and of course, the use of, a, of an outside agency doesn't always guarantee 100% um, appointments, but um, some of the charities who do their thing in-house probably could do it more cheaply by coming to an organisation like ours, which is designed around their needs and, and their price points as well, uh, and can do all of the heavy lifting, uh, leaving them to do what they should be doing, which is looking after their service users and beneficiaries and managing their staff. Um, so I, I would ask those clients who are thinking about recruiting people to, you know, it does absolutely no harm, just, you know, talk to us and um, uh, there's no commitment or anything like that, but come and talk to us because we think we can do it really well uh, to your needs. We'll talk to you in great detail about what it is your organisation is, what the culture is, which is very often missed out by other agencies, you know, um, 
and and we, we'll, we'll not just look at, at the, the hard aspects of the skills and experience of staff that you want, but we'll be looking at their culture, their motivations and their ethics as well. Oh, so uh, where can people find you? Where is so uh, the best place to find us is at our uh, start on our website, which is engageexec.co.uk. And uh, I'm Patrick at co3.bz. Bravo Zulu. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Well, uh, the singing can commence. Great. Great <laughs> talking to you, Kate. Be careful what you wish for. Spot on. <laughs>